Answer. This podcast features features host who often refers to himself as not cute. Also features acting father. Austin. What is we get to take? Let's start the show! <laughs> Welcome to the weekend it take. Rest in peace, Alex. All right. I like about, hey. I love how you still led with answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course I led with answer. That's how the game works. That's how Jeopardy is played. I should have like question. Questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is the show where we what take. We're doing doing the most. Well, well, that, I mean, we're doing the I most. Mean, I mean, come on, man. I mean, this is the weekend to take. That's how we do. That's how we start shows. If you don't like it, you can leave. No, there you go. Your boy, he out. <laughs> oh, we're already off the rails. Welcome to another edition of the weekend to take. Yo. I am your yeah. man's Dr. Lewis. Third baby. Uh, we'll mention why later but for now that that <laughs> drunk with power mad person below me is one daniel davidson how are you today good 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 He's still drunk. He's still drunk. Nice, nice. nice. All those were the same answer. Still still (laughs) drunk off his own supply. Back from a week off. It is one Mr. Austin Brezina. How are you, sir? Hello. Hello, everybody. Birdman Lug, baby. (laughs) And you know, I I come into this kitchen and we don't ever have two things that are alike. Uh, You know, sometimes I have Terrell and I got no Austin. I have an Austin. Uh-huh. I have no Terrell. That's the fact of the case what? today. There is no thespian poppy Terrell Huff here today, which is was why there, De- was which there was ever a thespian poppy? <laughs> y- y- yes, yes, there was. Oh, okay, I, I don't know. I, I've okay. been gone for a while. I didn't know. <laughs> what you? you, you been, what? We've been gone for a for a year. I only call him that every episode. <laughs> oh, fuck, fuck. I, I know it was just it's like you got to be gone for a lot longer than that, homie, if you want to get that joke over. <laughs> so uh, Terrell Huff off on other business today. Uh, you know, some actual yeah, radio, baby. some actual Security. radio business where they might the actually, bag. yeah, where they might actually give him some money as opposed to our rinky dink operation. So he's off securing the bag. Uh, and so Terrell Huff out for this week. Uh, we, we we will miss him greatly, but with even without Terrell Huff, this is still the show where we take one topic and one, one. topic only. We distill it down into its purest form, its essence. We throw it in a little bowl, mix it up, give it back to you, the people, the people, the people. And you go out into the world. You're all informed off our knowledge, high on our supply. And you, uh, you, you wield that power probably in a way you probably shouldn't. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> wield that power wildly, yeah. and irresponsibly. Well, well, much, much like Daniel, you wielded uh, just you know unencumbered and just, just mad, pure madness. So that being said, this week our topic is I kid. Before we talk about the topic, before I even tell you about the topic, one man must speak, and that man. Is Terrell Huff. So it's time for Terrell Huff's first take, sponsored by who, Daniel? Sponsored by JNT Charter. Get the Charter's up. Remember, Gorilla. Take it away, Sir Poppy. And that was Terrell Huff's first take, sponsored by who, Daniel? 
sponsored by J and T. This is Charter Zo. Remember it. Yeah, so got to pay them bills, baby. Yeah, got to pay them. If you had let that pause milk a little longer, I was about to start depression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I got to let the joke sit. Yo, a- yo, look. So- <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Yeah. Support the odds, baby. Support the odds. <laughs> Let's be real, though. <laughs> just a whole bunch of <laughs> just words. Like like so uh, this week's episode, we're going to talk about a historic hire in the ranks of baseball. That's right. We're finally talking about the MLB. We actually, we've talked about the MLB in quite a, a bit this year. But <laughs> this More time, than I'd like to, but yes. <laughs> yeah, this time, wow. <laughs> we'll actually be talking about the MLB for, for, for positive reasons. Uh, over the weekend, uh, they the Miami Marlins uh, made, made an, an important and historic hire. Uh, they mm-hmm. hired the first Asian-American person to uh, be the general manager of a uh, of a baseball organization, they hired the first woman to be the general manager of a professional sports organization. So not just a baseball organization, but a, a professional sports organization. And that human's name is Kim Ning. Kim Ning is the new general manager of the Miami Marlins. And, and when you get into this, it's actually kind of astounding because, you know, it's it's this historic moment, obviously, and you you it comes on the heels of uh, the United States having its first ever w- woman elected to the vice presidency, and now you follow that kind of up with this major sports landmark. So it, it, it's interesting how life and and sports uh, often mirror each other, but it also is interesting just to understand her career arc because this is some might say that you know this is long long overdue, and they'd probably be right based on her track record. Um, she's been in and around the world of baseball for, for quite a long time. Um, and she was basically one of the highest ranking officials in baseball over the last few years. That's, uh, that's been her title um, as she worked alongside Joe Torre, um, who is one of the most high ranking M- MLB executives. But before that, uh, she was the assistant general manager uh, to the, for the New York Yankees. Uh, from 1998 to 2000, uh, where she worked with Brian Cashman and others uh, and brought the Yankees a, a few titles. Um, and then she was also the assistant general manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, where she worked again with Joe Torre there as well. Um, so she's got three. She's been a part of an executive group that has uh, formed three World Series teams, all of those with the Yankees when they went on their little dynastical run in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, but then, you know, she's applied for a general manager job four times uh, previous to this and, and was rejected each time. And now in the year of our Lord 2020, uh, she's finally gotten the gig. So, I mean, I don't think we need to really belabor the point of how historic this is and talk about that, but I, I would like to attack this from a standpoint of we are men. <laughs> what is you can assume. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is so intimidating or not even intimidating? What What is the deal here? Why did this take, someone of her caliber so long to get this shot. Um, What has been going on previously that she's just now getting this opportunity? So, I mean, you can probably roll off a few things off the bat. Um, You know, in the past has been that, oh, well, since she's going to be the one in charge of hiring the players, being around the players, that maybe they might not respond to having a woman in charge just because maybe like she's never played the game that we played. Um, Maybe some men or don't, have the same type of authority figure. They see it in women as they would in a man. So that could be one. 
Um, also, the higher you get up in terms of the food chain in a company, usually kind of hire people that they want to be comfortable around. Because I guess at, at some point, of course, everybody's qualified, but at some, uh, eventually you want to hire somebody that you, you're going to be working with, you know, prior day in and day out the next, hopefully, you know, multiple years going forward. So usually you want to hire people that you used to being around. So that's probably going to be, you know, an older white man or, or someone that you went to school with or whatever. But usually you're more comfortable, you would think, around men because, you know, you can, I guess, act a certain way that you think maybe women can fit into. So that could be another reason why they're like, oh, okay, well, she wouldn't fit in with the culture, um, you know, in our organization or in that position because once it, you know, one is a very high position, but also you have to be in charge of, um, you know, a lot of different relationships throughout the organization when you're a general manager, um, from the coach to the players. So you can go and hide up with the owner, um, press conferences, all that kind of stuff too. Like you're interacting with a ton of people, uh, a lot of people in, you know, closed doors and, you know, in, in these rooms and such. And you would have to think that all of the conversations or interactions aren't just super professional. It's also more of a, like a friendly banter type deal, you know, or locker room talk or something. So some people might have been intimidated by that. Um, so I, in terms of your question, I could see, you know, just going off like old school mentality and such of, you know, just old men or how men who have been in the past in terms of, oh, she wouldn't fit in just because she's a woman, even though she is probably as if not, well, going over resume, she's probably more qualified than most people there, but just based off of this, how the culture would be adding her into that proposition might be a reason why they hesitated and kind of looked over to other people. So uh, do how valid or invalid do we think a, a logic like that is, Austin? So it's funny because this is a, this kind of bleeds into how I uh, hopefully I can make this eloquent. This kind of bleeds into how I feel about voting Obama in 2008. A large portion of when I was younger was like, you know, what? ultimately the presidency and I still feel this way, but ultimately the presidency is just another job. But I need them to be a leader first and foremost. They're going to be surrounded by people who will do the nitty gritty. I need this person to be a leader. So in that sense, you know, I value leadership above other things. On the flip side, like Daniel touched on, oftentimes that's used to exclude people because you're talking about the culture. And that's like a catch all term for like they don't really fit with the culture here. What, what does that mean? Like the culture is winning, right? Like the culture is building the great business. But, you know, it, it, like Daniel's saying, it's very, very possible that they're looking at this like, well, you know what? You know, we need somebody who's going to be a leader, somebody that people are going to look to. And a woman just ain't it. And that's not right, but it's their business. So I'm a little fuzzy on whether or not we can, this kind of bleeds into uh, uh, the mandatory hiring practices and, and affirmative action and that kind of stuff. And, and I think it's really, really complicated, but ultimately I agree with those policies. But at the same time, who, who am I to tell the organization what to do with their time? If they want to be losers, they can be losers. If they want to be winners, they can be winners. It's their choice. I, I can't really fault it all on discrimination, even though discrimination is part of it. Because a large part of it is they're just not giving people opportunities that they would give other people. Um, especially like you look at the NFL, all these people getting opportunities that, that quote unquote, don't deserve these opportunities, you know, passing over other people. It's the same thing in baseball. Like they're, they're looking at this. Um, I, I always kind of wonder, you know, anybody who has been affiliated with uh, Yankee success, they have a little bit of shine on them. Like they got these success with the Yankees, but at the same time, they've got a stigma where like, yeah, you can do whatever you want when you got a bankroll. And, and I mean, it's possible that there's a there's an aspect of that in it, like people overvalue or devalue the, the the Yankees accomplishments. So, you know, yes, you're around these winning organizations, but like literally, you know, and, and, and it's it's vengefulness, it's pettiness. But a lot of times it's like, who cares? I could have won with the Yankees. And I think that that permeates all aspects of baseball. 
and I would hope that they don't make business decisions based on that. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's part of it. Like, as a casual fan, I absolutely feel that way a lot of times about it. And I know it's more complicated than that, but that's how I feel about it. But ultimately, I, I think Daniel hit the, hail, the, the nail on the head when he's talking about this is a culture fit issue. And, and the question is, what is your culture? You know, there's no reason that she can't step in and do this job. Obviously, the you know, they feel a certain type of way about it. They think she's going to do great at the job. But you, you can't use culture as a reason to exclude somebody, even though that's what people are doing, because that's that's how you alienate people. That's how you you legally discriminate against people. And I don't think it's a good reason. Yeah, it's interesting that the Miami Marlins would be the team to pull this off. They're kind of the dumpster fire of the uh, MLB. Uh, they basically win a World Series every 20, 10, 10, 15 years and then fire sell that whole team because they're so poorly managed. They try to live off of that goodwill. Um, Derek Jeter is one of the new owners there um, who all obviously has Yankee ties. So that's a, probably maybe a reason uh, why she finally got this this opportunity. Um, but <clears throat> The idea uh, when I first heard this, I was like, "Oh, you know, you, you're 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 happy that you know a barrier has been broken and a glass ceiling has been has been shattered." But at the same time, I'm like, "Oh my God, the Marlins—that's not a good first job." And they're kind of a sideshow. Did they just do this because they're like the kind of the sideshow team of the MLB? And then you look into it, and it's like, no, they 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 they, they did this because she's probably the most qualified candidate out there and has been for at least a decade. It seems like when you look at her credentials and her bona fides and, and I, I get Daniel's point. I'm not saying he's championing this cause, but to take Daniel's point out uh, a little further, it's not like she's being hired to be like the head coach, which in this case is the actual, um, the, what is called the manager of the team. She's being hired to, you know, get the talent there. I'm not saying there isn't a, an aspect of that job that work coincides with a lot of the p- reasons why they probably kept her out of the, out of this job because of the things that Daniel uh, uh, touched on, but it's not the same thing as, you know, having to be in the clubhouse and <clears throat> excuse me, having to be in the clubhouse and kind of getting the things, the things done. Like you're not, you obviously you're a leader within the organization, but the epitome of the leader is probably the manager, not the general manager. And, and case in point, a lot of these barriers have been broken down already. You have a Theo Epstein, um, who was one of the youngest general managers ever, um, as early as 2004. He has no baseball experience. He's a stats guy. So the stats revolution should, it seems like the stats revolution would have broken down some of these barriers a long time ago, specifically where it comes to baseball. Because if there's any league that's a little, I mean, we know baseball is about their culture, so don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, but if there's any league that in terms of the front office kind of bucks those kind of trends, you would think it would be baseball, but instead it, it seems like they almost reinforce the, the, the normal culture of sports. Why do we think that is when a young white dude who, you know, he still falls into the category of he's young, not your typical leader people, you know, he, he you're going to have some of those same questions, but that wasn't a barrier for his entry. Um, like it could be, and like it would be in maybe like a sport like football, where it's like, if you're younger, that people think they might not respect you as much in terms of getting these kind of things done. His barrier for entry was not, was not curtailed by that but yet for women that that hasn't been the same case even though we see someone who's supremely qualified who's the assistant general manager to three world series teams uh whether it's the yankees or not that's impressive the yankees always have that that payroll they don't always win the world series and they definitely Mm -hmm. don't always do it three and four years so you know she had a a big hand in that Uh, why do you think that baseball is 
apt to break down some of those barriers a lot earlier. It was like, what, two decades earlier in terms of the youth movement, in terms of stat guys who haven't played the game. But for whatever reason, women haven't been afforded that same opportunity. I mean, I think the obvious answer would be ownership, right? I mean, if, if ultimately everybody's concerned with success and, and it's the, the double blind, like if you were just to pick somebody based on record alone and all that kind of stuff, everybody would be treated equal, but they're not. So there's something there, right? Like there's something that's causing this disconnect. Well, it's got to be the people who are in charge. And and I don't know if that's something that's easy to fix, but I mean, that's my first thought. Um, I look at it more as, you know, in most professional sports leagues, it's all, pretty much all of them are copycat leagues. So the stat guys didn't really become, you know, pretty prominent or all around the league until, you know, Moneyball happened. And they saw that, oh, this is working really well. Let's go ahead and try that too. Um, I want to parallel it to maybe the San Antonio Spurs when they went and started going pretty heavy internationally in terms of their drafting and picking up players. It's like, oh, there's some talent over there. Let's go ahead and try that too. So, again, the culture at the end of the day is at some point going to get back to winning because overall, if you aren't winning, then it's going to be hard to sell those tickets, hard to, you know, increase your revenue. And actually, I think that's why it makes perfect sense that it was the Marlins that made this move because they've been so so bad for so long and they have a history of not being, you know, a great organization that I'm sure they don't have the pick of the litter when it comes to picking who wants to be the general manager. But then, then themselves, I'm sure they don't, they're tired of kind of being known for being, you know, this, this dysfunctional franchise. So what do you do? You try to find, you know, talent, equal talent, just somewhere else that's not currently being used. So their different talent pool in this instance may be, you know, going for a female general manager. Um, and if that's the case and it works out, then I think you kind of will see that start popping up a little bit more over baseball. People start looking more for, you know, who are these other, you know, women in our, in our, our league, our organization, and do they have, you know, should we put them on the track to potentially have those higher positions too? Um, so that's why I think as of right now, because usually what we do and what kind of handicaps a lot of people is that we kind of just fall back only on our past experiences and we don't really have, you know, too much foresight into what, what could be. So in that sense, the general manager is one of the leaders of the team. So maybe if you are an owner or whatever, you've never seen, you know, your, your picture of a leader is, you know, maybe a older person, a man, a white person, a white man, or maybe a young white man who grows into a leadership role. Like you've seen that before you've seen it play out, maybe it happened in their lives as well. So it's like, okay, I know this can happen. I know a leader looks like to me. So that's what I'm going to go for to try to groom and find the next leader that can grow into what I think they're supposed to look like. But probably in most of their history, they probably don't think about, oh, you know, my leader catch could be a woman, an Asian American woman. That probably doesn't pop into their mind immediately. And, you know, that is because of, you know, for whatever reason in their past dealings or, or how, how they operate. Um, but I think once they kind of start seeing that and that, oh, this actually is a thing, you kind of see, you know, someone doing well in that position of power, then it might kind of change their viewpoint over what a leader actually is. And, you know, start going more towards the qualifications and, you know, their ability, less off of what they look like. It's like, well, well can they get the job done? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you look, look like a perfect leader, you know, um, perfect features or whatever, and you're, you're good in a room, but you can't get the job done, then, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, now I'm kind of throwing money away. So if we kind of can see if, if the model is, or if she can do well in this position, I think you actually might see this become more of a, I wouldn't say regular occurrence, but it won't be as, you know, the only person as of right now, you actually might see more people looking around to kind of try to find the next person or uh, have more opportunities to kind of groom more people in that pipeline as well. And I completely agree with that. Um, I, I just to clarify, I, I think you're playing devil's advocate here, right? Like you're, you're saying like, this is why they're thinking this way. 
Mm-hmm. Like, just, just, yeah, because I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think it's the same problem. So, like I said, I, I think that that they have this stigma of this is what it takes to be a winner. You know, in their head, they have like this is this is what you have to do. This is the way we've always done it. And blah blah blah. And I, and I think like like to Derek's point though, why did uh why did Moneyball not change that? You know, why why did stats not change that? If all of a sudden everybody reevaluated the the very concept of baseball, the very concept of how to win in baseball. How come that didn't broach the front offices? And all I can assume is that <clears throat> a it's it's ownership, like I said, or b they don't really understand the concept of 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 winning, which is probably more possible. Like I, I winning's hard. I mean, it's just what it is. Just because you own a team, just because you run a team, doesn't mean you know anything about winning. You you can play the sport, you can understand the sport, but to actually win, there's it, a reason only some teams win. <laughs> like it, it is what it is. So I, I think it could just be a disconnect on the front offices. It could be a disconnect where they, they're like, you know, so you're telling me stats win games. All right, cool, do that. But they don't apply it. They're not applying this knowledge. There's just a lack of knowledge. They're not applying it to the front office. Like, hey, we can replace teammates. We can replace players. We can replace this. We can find runs. But they don't look at it like that in the front office. They don't look at it like, okay, well, if we replace this guy, we're going to get somebody who's going to bring in new fans. We're going to bring in somebody who gets, you know, wins somebody who gets W's like it, it, it's a disconnect. I don't think there's ultimately, I think most situations where there's losing happening can be attributed to lack of knowledge or, or something along those lines. And, and like Derek's saying, like, why didn't it change anything? I, it's gotta be the, the top down. It has to be top down because if you're looking at things, just double blind, like, Oh, this is, I have person A's resume, person B's resume. This person is clearly the more qualified candidate, but that's not how it works. It's who, you know, it's it's who you who have the inroads with. Do you look the part? Do you look like you could be a winner? And there's some merit to that, you know, not to be obviously I don't support what I'm saying right here, but there is some merit to that, which we talked about briefly when we talked about dress code stuff, which which I, I feel like I was probably in the wrong when we talked about dress code stuff in the NBA. But I do feel there's some merit to like, you know, hey, this is your job. Present yourself at your job. I, I think there's some merit to looking the part of a winner. But she she fits that mold like this. I, I'm not saying that she doesn't fit that mold of that or anything like that. But I think you do have to have some scrutiny. You can't be pure stats guy. You can't be 100 percent like, hey, let's give this person a chance because they're a proven winner. And then they get there in day one. They're like, all right, we're replacing all the toasters with blah, blah, blah. Like, like all right, what the fuck are we doing? You know, you, you have yeah. to have some discretion. But the problem is that discretion is overpowering right now. The, the problem is the discretion's like on the surface. It's almost a joke. Like, what do you mean? You want an Asian woman to run our baseball team? Yeah. I, I mean, that's what we're saying, but it's, it's, it's that discretion is overpowering right now. Like I guarantee there's conversations that laughed her out of the office behind closed doors. You know, they're like, Hey, what about her? And he's like, no, we're not having an Asian woman run the team. And that was the end of that conversation. So I, I think that there is, it's, it's top down ownership. I think the ownership is failing to give her the opportunities that she was afforded. Hopefully this opens the door for better. Um, hopefully it's not a dumpster fire and this is a, this cast aspersions on the whole thing. Like, Oh, they, this was a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. Like Derek said, he, he looked into it. It's not a gimmick. Like she is a talented front office worker and hopefully, hopefully it pays dividends. And what's interesting is, uh, I think it re it causes us to somewhat reevaluate what we think about when we think about innovation, I guess. And, and what, you have to be willing to do uh, to innovate. Uh, oftentimes, 
you know, as y'all been kind of talking about, we get bogged down in the status quo. And so that's why I found that question to be interesting, where we saw and baseball isn't at the forefront of a lot of things culturally <laughs> in sports um, in terms of taking us to that next level where we need to be at as a society. But what they have been at the forefront of, is, as we've been talking about, has been revolutionizing the way that front offices operate and how they look at players. They were at the 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 very beginning of that movement that has leaked over into basketball, that is kind of starting to leak over into football. And for whatever reason, even though, you know, because it started with Billy Bean and Bi the one thing about Billy Bean, although he is a stats guy now and, and, and knows about stats and uses them and is one of the most, you know, uh, people who has has been held in the highest esteem for being that at the forefront of that, he is also a former baseball player. So to go from him to like a Theo Epstein, who is both young and not a former baseball player, that was a, that was an innovation at the time, and that paid dividends for the Red Sox, and it paid dividends for the Cubs. And but for like as we to, not to belabor the point, but that innovation didn't take them to the next level of hey, there's this woman who's winning with the Yankees. Let's see what she's got. Let's see what she, let's think about uh, bringing her in. And that didn't that process didn't play out. Excuse me, that process played out for, what, 16 more years? For, for the sake mm -hmm. of it, just devil's advocate, do we know if she was seeking these jobs? I yeah, mean, she, you would think she was, but I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, it said at the beginning, she, uh, she's she been turned down for four for okay, different manager okay. jobs prior. I missed that. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, one high-profile one was she interviewed with the Dodgers and, and got passed over for that job. And I think eventually that dude, uh, I, let me not guess, but I think that guy ended up getting fired and then that brought in the regime now that is put in charge of the Dodgers who led them to multiple World Series and a World Series win here recently. Uh, so she's been passed over before and she's been trying her basically one of the things that I read was her entire um, her entire goal once she joined Major League Baseball was to be get to this point uh, of running her own her own team and that's all she's been basically working towards which is interesting because she eventually leaves the Dodgers and, and and goes in into the uh, MLB the executive side of, of the of the organization so she kind of detours away from that and that's probably so she could build enough relationships to actually be thought of as a credible or higher and it just shows you mm -hmm. the links that women have to go to in this country uh, to get the same opportunities that men get um, because she literally had to spend a lot of time with two well-run organizations then she had to go away from being on that side of the baseball completely to the executive side and, and be completely away from that aspect of the game to probably build the structure in place so that she could get this one opportunity. And now it's kind of put up or shut up time, which is completely unfair for her because baseball is so winding. And so it's hard to put together a baseball team. It's hard to put up together any professional sports team, but there's a lot, a lot of luck involved in putting together a, a baseball team, especially when you're the Miami Marlins and you're, you're, you're strapped for cash. They're not exactly, you know, the Yankees in that regard. So it's, it's going to be interesting that it's interesting that this is the job that she gets to try to put her roots down it with, because it's not, it's not necessarily interesting enough. It's not been considered a forward thinking type of organization uh, that's why Don Mattingly is there in the first place. He was the dude who got fired by the Dodgers because he didn't like analytics. And so they replaced him with Dave Roberts. You saw how that paid off. And then the Marlins hired Don Mattingly. And, and it's not like he's completely opposed to, to the stats side, but he's definitely a more of a, a feel type of guy. I, I can feel the game type of person. And so a lot of these factors coming in together to make what could be a, uh, to put it lack of a better word, could be an interesting situation in Miami. 
Um, I don't, I'm not sure if, if anyone knows how that's going to play out. Uh, the interesting part about it would probably be that it's not going to be Kim Ying's fault if they don't succeed. Um, but that's, that's, how, that's, just the, that's just the game. That's how the game is played. Yeah, at this point, you got to look at it like any other GM as well. Anybody getting hired to be a head coach or a GM, especially for the first time, a lot of times you're not going to be set up in like a picture perfect situation to succeed. Yeah. Usually, if you're kind of just breaking into the into the that position, it's for a reason. So they want to try something different, something new. Um, so of course, yes, what, what she's doing is is groundbreaking. But in terms of if it'll work out or not, um, of course, it's going to be on her a little bit because she's the GM. So right. when it comes to a, a, a team, then it's, it's also you're, you have some part in that as well. Now, would it all be on there? Of course not. That's, for any GM, that's not the case where it's all on them. It's also on the players, the coach, organization too. Um, but no, if it does or doesn't work out, it still doesn't take anything away from this, this current moment and kind of what she's been doing, what she's done. And it really kind of gives her that, you know, success and vindication that, yes, you know, I am qualified. I can do this. And even if it, she doesn't succeed and become, you know, like a 10, 15-year GM or anything like that, how many people get in the work and said they were they actually ran their own their own team their own baseball team for the professional professional league? Um, ideally, of course, we want her to to stay in there, do well. That way, it kind of can push more teams to kind of look further into you know the applicant pool, other talent out there to actually develop more talent and groom more talent to actually come through that pipeline. Um, because honestly, reading um, the article that you had sent, Derek, about um, all she had done started as an intern working way up to here, it's it's pretty unique because a lot of times in the other sports like football and basketball, when you hear about a woman kind of breaking in and kind of getting a role as a coach or, you know, on the field or anything like that, all they kind of highlight is that at some point she was like a former star, you know, in her profession, like in, in the WNBA or something like that too, or they, they did something in college, like, uh, you know, there's a few women working also in the NFL on the sidelines too. Uh, but for this, this was just stri- strictly just about, you know, her as a, uh, in the office as an executive worker, working behind the scenes in corporate. And honestly, that's more, I think, the story that you see for most GMs around the country than really the other ones you see that are highlighted in terms of, you know, they were a former star athlete and now they kind of got groomed to kind of went to this role. She's kind of doing it the way that I guess most people in that role get there, which is kind of just working on the way up and kind of grinding up through, through the ranks. So I think that was pretty interesting and also amazing to hear. And I think that's probably going to be the route for this to happen more often. It, it, I think it'll be less of, you know, the star, former star, uh, you know, female players getting that role and more, you know, the interns getting in there, more interns in the pipeline, more grooming, more headhunting to find talent to kind of get through, through, those, through the system. And then you kind of see them blossom at some point um, like him did as well. Yeah, because that's like, that's like shorthand, right? The former star for credibility. Right. It goes back to what you were talking about earlier, where they think of a leader as a certain type of person. Well, if you were successful as a former, let's say in this case, probably a softball player, um, because softball is kind of the in this country anyway, the female version of of baseball uh, that lends you a little bit more credibility. You know, that's how Jessica Mendoza gets to call baseball games now because she was a former star softball player player who who uh you know won olympic gold medals and all that kind of stuff so the, it becomes shorthand for credibility in this case as you pointed out uh kim ying didn't have that shorthand so she had to literally build it from the ground up 
And uh, just to go back to your point, just to just to kind of belabor this point again, uh, just a little bit, it, it, it's so interesting. And this is not the only way to become a GM. And this isn't the he's not the only example of a GM out there. But again, it, it became interesting when you said that, you know, when you get your first job, you're not a, you don't usually get, you know, the pick of jobs. And then you have wonder kid Theo Epstein, whose first job gets to be the Boston Red Sox with all that cash, <laughs> yeah. all that history behind them. Uh, basically just having to focus it in the right direction so it's just interesting to kind of juxtapose their two uh, careers against each other it kind of shows you kind of the gap and again there's other gms who don't follow that epstein mold and actually i don't want to say had to work for it because i don't i don't know enough about theo epstein to know what opportunities he's should or should not have uh but None. Uh, no, no. I mean, he's revived two basically dead organizations in terms of winning who had two curses. So you got to give him some credit. He knows what he's doing. It's just that it's interesting to see his his route as opposed to the, the route that Daniel just kind of laid out for Kim Ying. Um, they, they're very opposite in a, in a lot of ways there. Yeah. So. My final thing on this, and we can we can kind of maybe move on a little bit, is that it's interesting to me that now, after so many years of people kind of passing up on Ken Ying, uh, Kim Ying, uh, that the Miami Marlins are kind of using her as shorthand to up their credibility. As we've kind of mentioned, they're not no, they're kind of a laughing stock in terms of how they manage their roster and their organization, and now they bring in this very credible, this very sophisticated, this very well traveled uh, woman general manager, and they kind of using her as shorthand to bring respectability back to their organization. And so it's interesting after all these years of people turning her down because she didn't fit the mold, that now the Miami Marlins are basically using her, her as, a, as a way to kind of get back in the game from a social standpoint uh, in terms of lending their uh, front office the credibility they need to probably improve that team. Yeah. Well, I, I think kind of like what Austin mentioned before, though, is, the role nowadays in professional sports for front office staff, you know, GM, um, owner, anything like that, it's no longer where you kind of stay in the background, do some stuff, and then, you know, only come out, you know, when the season's over or, like, during the off season. You're actually – you're part of the entire season and off season in terms of kind of being out there publicly, um, you know, raising awareness for the team, popularity, getting people kind of fired up to, to support the team. Um, so a lot of times when people make these – these hires, they go hire and also try to, you know, upsell like, oh, we're in the GM and they're, you know, young and dynamic and they take us a new direction or we're in the GM and he's old school. He's going to take us back to our roots and kind of get us in the right direction. So uh, it's kind of gone, I guess, trickled up in this point to kind of more of a storyline. It's not just with the players, not just with the coach, but also now with the front office staff too for the GM and the owners ownership as well to where if you have a good story with them and, you know, you can kind of have, not really have to have them talk all the time, but you can kind of can talk them up and kind of, you know, flop the resume out a little bit or something about them you can spin. That's kind of part, become part of team marketing now. It's not only just their players, not only just the coach, but now even the GM as well. So that's been an interesting change over the years, but it's something I don't think it's going away. It's going to become, I think, more of a thing in terms of everybody in the organization is going to have to be a part of, you know, the season going forward, the marketing, getting fans in the stands and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and and I think uh, I, ultimately this is a great thing. I, I mean, we, we all agree with that. But I mean, ultimately this is a great thing. You know, it's going to open new roads. It's going to open like the 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 concept of diversity, not not racial diversity necessarily, but just the concept of diversity. What can this bring to the baseball organizations, the MLB in general, 
you know, what, what avenues are untapped because especially for baseball, immigrants love baseball. Like, like people love baseball. There's no surprise that she grew up loving baseball. You know, not, not saying that she's like fresh off the boat, nothing like that, but I'm saying like, there's no surprise that there's other archetypes of people that love baseball that are untapped right now. You, You know, with all the, the farming, the farming that we're doing overseas, the farming that we're doing, in Puerto Rico, the farm, you know, all that kind of stuff. Why are we not farming front office talent as well? And I just think there's no system set up for that. Like, hopefully they can enact some kind of like, Hey, let's, let's start like this program to, to, to give people a chance, whatever internships, whatever you want to call it, like give these people chances because there's an untapped market. There is, I think what she proves that there are people who can do these jobs that haven't been given those opportunities. And and baseball could lean into it. I mean, baseball loves to be America's sport, and especially on the East Coast and, and immigrants and, and the nature of, of how this country was founded. Why not lean into that? And I don't know if this is possible for baseball. I don't know if it's possible in the political climate for baseball, but like lean into that. Lean into like, look, we want overseas talent. We want people coming in and taking jobs. We want people to come in and do all this kind of stuff because then then you reach that next plateau of like, this is the world's game. And, and right now it's America's game. It's always going to be America's game, whatever it's, it's America's pastime. But I think that they could really lean into this big picture and start just opening the gates for all sorts of talent to come in because there's definitely baseball talent overseas. Like it's been baseball talent overseas for a long time now. So now they could finally start infiltrating the front office to have some more, more talent there to build more relationships overseas to build just this globalization that would be a good boon for everybody. Um, but I do want to touch on like your point about um, that. Now she's the, uh, the, the poster child for them. Like, Oh, look, look at we, look at what we did. Look, look what we did. I mean, that's okay. That's part of that, that social contract, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but that's how it works. You know, when, when you're afforded certain opportunities on the flip side of it, you're going to be preyed upon. And, and that's just the nature of business. I mean, what do you bring to the team? And ultimately, one of her strengths is that she brings something new to this team. So I don't think it's wrong for the Marlins to capitalize on that. Like, they should be able to capitalize on their talent as much as they want to. But that is the the gritty underside of any kind of social contract like that. Whenever something good happens, somebody's going to be profiting off of you. She's not the owner. Somebody profits off of her. And that's just the nature of, of the business. Yeah, I actually wasn't speaking to that. I wasn't actually being as cynical as I usually. Oh am. no, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't know. If it's you funny caught that I, I was more just yeah. speaking towards the fact that the Marlins specifically lack baseball credibility among circles as being people with baseball knowledge and she basically infuses them with that credibility instantly by being who she is uh more so as a baseball mind than uh the uh, the extras that come along which i'm sure the marlins will try to traffic in greatly and and and, and play that up <laughs> which is it which, as you said is their right and she knows the deal she didn't she's not naive she's that's what she's signing up for so that she has the opportunity to, to, to fulfill her dream but i was being a little less cynical for once on that regard but you actually brought up a good point that i actually wanted to talk about real quick um i know i said that we'd wrap it up but i I have one more point to think about and that's the interesting enough she becomes the first asian american general manager in in baseball which is crazy to me from the standpoint of baseball is one of its most popular it's one of the most popular sports in terms of being a world game and it's very huge um in, in asia 
um, from yeah. Japan to China to to you know to, everywhere over uh, over in the Far East. So it's interesting that be- and there's a lot of players who have come over and and have have had success in the MLB. So it's interesting that we're just now getting a, an Asian American general manager in, in in baseball when we know the popularity that it, it has overseas, uh, man or woman. Uh, she's the first. Whether whatever gender you subscribe to, she is the the first person to uh, to be Asian of Asian descent and and hold that role. It, it, I mean, is that basically just a function of the same thing as as the as what we talked about with women, or like, oh, how do we explain that we have such a big uh, foothold in Asia, but there are no real opportunities in terms of the front office for Asian Americans and Asians, even though they a lot of them have put their hand in the dirt, so to speak. Well, I, I think for most front offices, though, usually they don't go out and just like hire a GM that hasn't, you know, actually been here in America, you know, actually yeah. head of a team or working with an organization. So that's nothing like that's too outlandish, I don't think. You know, it's very popular over there. I mean, it's best possible they're going to hire somebody from there to come over and run a team. A lot of times, like I was saying, they kind of want someone who's kind of come up through the system or has been through an organization, has been around, um, you know, the, I guess the way that the, the sport is played in America, so they kind of know the ins and outs of it. And it's hard to get that down if you haven't really been around there for multiple years, which is why a lot of these GMs have, you know, been groomed and then they come up. And then once they get that job and they're fired, they kind of start jumping around to different teams and different front offices because they kind of are in that, I guess, that club. And also because they are familiar with how the, the organization is run. Um, so I think in that sense, that's not too surprising. Um, I guess the knock on it would be that for like for, for the NBA, it's kind of strange because, you know, most of its players are African-American, but very few of them like ownership or the general manager for African-Americans. So that's kind of strange in terms of that lack of, you know, grooming and such. But for baseball, um, it hasn't been a large population, though, has it of, of Asian or Asian-Americans that play the sport. Has it been? Not MLB, but I think Derrickson were talking on like yeah, overseas. The over, I'm talking about, and let me be clear. I don't mean like they would take someone from Asia and bring them over here. Although they, <laughs> they could, they could technically do that as well because they don't even of, speak English. There's a lot of general managers and, and infrastructure for that. But what I, I more mean so is, and with all the stereotypes that surround Asian culture, it's kind of interesting that they're not more. They don't have a stronger foothold in the MLB when you consider the the stats element of it, when you consider the cultural element of it. Uh, so you, it's kind of interesting to me that Asian Americans don't have a larger imprint, um, a larger visible imprint, uh, because frankly, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with how many Asian Americans are within the sport and within front offices. But it's just interesting that they don't have until now, they did not have a visible footprint in terms of leadership when there's so many cultural, stereotypical, all those kind of things coming together to converge into what would seem like the perfect situation uh, to hire an Asian American into one of these roles a lot earlier than 2020. But only about stereotypes here in America, though, I, I don't think most people really think about when they think of baseball, they don't think about, you know, people from you know Asian people or Asian Americans, they kind of think about either, you know, uh, white people or people from like uh, South America, something like that, stereotypically. Mm-hmm. Like, My understanding you, is that baseball is just a bunch of white dudes and Jackie Robinson. Am I wrong? Yeah, he's playing the joke, but it's kind of, that's kind of true, yeah. though, in terms of like yeah. the, the average American or here in America, oh, usually don't correlate based. And Ichiro. I'm and Ichiro, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> Usually you don't correlate, you know, love of baseball with, you know, your Asian-American friend or the Asian-American person that you see. 
That's crazy that's because every Asian American I've ranking. ever met loves baseball. No, I'm just kidding. Just, no, yeah, so that's that's why I think in that sense is like it makes sense if you look at it like a actual award view. It's like yeah, definitely that they they love the baseball. They're crazy about it. But here in America, because you know we have our own little bubble, um, it's not really that stereotype. We, we attach to them. It's as other one. Um, but not one for baseball, though. So that's why I think people aren't surprised. They're like, oh, well, I didn't know that they love baseball so much, you know, here in America, Asian-Americans, Arabs-Americans do. But in fact, globally, it's like, yeah, no, you know, most of our people are crazy about baseball. So I think it may be a bit of ignorance on Americans' part, the reason, the real, the reason, reason why you don't really see that as much. And then, of course, if you don't see them playing all the time, you know, during these games for the MLB, you don't really get that home in and say, oh, you know, they should be, you know, stay around the game and be part of the front office of the organization because they've been in the league for so long too. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, like, I think Daniel's exactly right. Like, I don't think it's a hundred percent shocking that anything like this would, would be the case. I think we, we, you, you do have to have a, an element of discretion when you're thinking about the, the, the higher offices. I, I can't speak for the lower offices in front offices. Cause like, I don't, I don't know behind the scenes, anything like that, but like for, when it comes to just purely GMs, there's only 30 jobs available. So it's not, it's not as outrageous when zero percent go to Asian American. You know what I mean? Like if it was like there was thousands of front office jobs, then it'd be like okay, well zero percent's a little bit more sketchy at that point. But at that low sample size, thirty jobs, zero percent isn't as drastic because now that she's been hired, that immediately has changed to three percent, and that's a big jump, a three percent jump in hiring. You know that, that's why like on sample sizes. We, we, you really can't get bogged down on the GM role, I would think. Like, to Daniel's point, there's there's not – it's not like the entire league is an Asian-American league. Like, it's it's not as shocking to see that discrepancy. But, you know, big picture, of course, that it, race wouldn't even matter in this, and, and there would be – you know, there'd be no reason to look at statistics like that. The only pushback – a slight pushback I'll say against that is it's not just 30 jobs, you know, Right now, it's thirty jobs over a, fair. you know, fifty year period That's of time. Yeah, yeah, so right, like yeah. You, you multiply that. I'm not saying that that makes it. You know, it's still a low percentage, obviously. Yeah, um, but no, so it's, 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 fair. It's, That's fair. But it's not. It's not, you know, not like we're just doing the thirty and then that's it once, <laughs> and then that dude's just the past there. doesn't matter. You're in the present, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so living then, it now. So you know, congratulations <laughs> to uh, Kim Ning. Um, it's, it's, I, I struggle to say that. I had a teammate whose last name was Ning, and I just, it's so hard for me to say that last name. I'm not sure why. Um, but disrespect. No, it's not disrespect. It's no disrespect. Oh, I'm just trying. Another <laughs> nah, you have it. Another you don't want to say that. Yeah, I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just, I'll no, be a fool. I mean, honest. Uh, I'm just going to shit on you, but like, you, but you fuck up OG4. You fuck up. <laughs> you fuck up Lupita. You fuck up Lupita. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't. I've also heard those names a lot of times. Uh, said i I, I haven't heard her name said not not uh, once i I basically am honestly for all i know that's not how it's pronounced and i'm only doing that because she has the same last name as one of my former teammates and i'm completely (laughs) messing it up which would be very unfortunate that's actually that's also egg helms don't do that don't don't bring that obscure joke here but uh (laughs) that's also another reason why if you notice i didn't really say it that much and then i was like 
this is a very important topic. I have to say the name multiple times to get to get out there that this is an achievement for her and we should be saying her name and celebrating it. But I really, if I had my choice, I would not have said that name ever because I don't want to mess up names. So oh, we it's know. It's summary. It's summary. You know you don't want to say it ever. It's summary. Uh, good job, Chief. New GM of the... Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> way, way to go, sport. Way, way to go, sport. <laughs> so I don't have anyone to ask my question. Uh, Daniel, you, you seem like a an inquisitive young man is, is it time or is it maybe not time for the greatest segment in the history of segments uh, was, it is not time but i was gonna ask that one more question before we moved on there was visible disappointment on daniel's face when you asked that question it was, it was pretty funny I, don't, <laughs> I, I said i said we're moving on we're moving on uh, what, what, what what question did you have for us sir so i guess we didn't really talk about or touch on the you know what it could mean for other leagues in America. Like, do you think we're going to see this training kind of grow? And if so, who the, the next league might be kind of set up to have another a woman in this type of role going forward? Because um, I think initially you would just jump to, you know, after the NBA, the NBA, the NBA, because they've kind of been, you know, a little bit more, uh, I guess, dynamic or, or a little more out there in terms of their decisions and how they run their league. Um, and I'm sure we're all were caught, off, caught off guard when it was baseball that was the first. Um, so do you kind of think that it would be best what would be the next logical step to have a woman in this role or do you think it might be another league or do you think it might be something to where they kind of just stay with the status quo for another decade or something? What's, what's interesting, I will speak first, Austin. No, uh, what's interesting about this is that I think some of the reason this caught us off guard is because this isn't what we thought the achieve. This wasn't the area, I think, that any of us saw the achievement coming in. The NBA has been somewhat, I guess, leading in this. And so the NFL is kind of behind, uh, kind of a little bit on their tails in this regard. But that's from coaching. Uh, they have female coaches uh, patrolling their sidelines. There's not a lot of talk about uh female uh, executives in, in the NBA and in the NFL. So it's kind of hard to spitball that because that requires you to know what is going on in front offices, the pipelines, who's, who's, who's hot, because frankly, you know, and it's not like we're the baseballiest of baseball people. So, I mean, she was known in these circles. These circles don't include us because we're not major baseball fans, but I had no clue who this person was until she was hired by the Marlins. Um, yeah. And so it's one of those things where from a, a layman's uh perspective you're, we probably aren't going to see the next one coming in terms of a general manager now the, for coaching it's a little more visible um and so we see who kind of is in the forefront of that and if you're asking me who's going to be probably the the first you know female head coach of a male dominated professional sports league i would probably guess it's going to be becky hammond and it's going to be here pretty soon and so that would be the nba but in terms of overall what the impact of this will have it's to be seen I, I think it's really hard to understand how this is going to reverberate. Hopefully it has lasting reverberations like you would see hope for, for with uh, Kamala Harris becoming the vice president of the United States, but it could also, it has the potential to go bad and be a, you know, someone's trying to hold this up as why we should never have advanced like this in the first place, because what often happens in this country is that we have progress that progress doesn't go exactly the way people envision. And so then that is used to, t to regress 
immediately. And then we have to kind of march back from that. Uh, that's kind of what you saw with Barack Obama. We oh, crept. damn it. You saw my thunder. I see all the lines. I see all the lines. I was going to be like, man, I remember the last time there was a, a quote unquote affirmative action hire in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and so the immediate response was to plunge the c- country into regression because, you know, people minorities started getting some semblance of power and, and that that causes change and upheaval and so we'll see how people respond to that change hopefully it'll be positive but you can never really know yeah. also, you had words before i spoke but now you <laughs> have no words no no all that <laughs> i i didn't have, i was mostly making a joke at the start of it when he was like he asked all, all that question i was just like no nah. <laughs> Ask a question, get an answer, man. No. But no, I mean, ultimately, I'll, I'll I'll play cynical here. Ultimately, I don't think it matters um, to other organizations. Like you're you're not trying, even though it is a copycat league and copycat business. I, I don't I don't think ultimately they have enough crossover to where this matters to them. You know, it, I I think if you're you're just a business standpoint, she was the right hire. She was a, a good resume. She was a justifiable hire good for them let them do their thing it has no bearing on my business like i'm when it comes to my job i'm still going to be looking for what i want um so to be cynical about it i don't think it matters that much big picture uh to be optimistic about it you know it does matter it says like hey look at this successful person right here look at how well this worked out for them four years down the road whatever you know hopefully she has success and that matters but ultimately i don't think it matters for for other leagues and that's mostly cynical, but I think that's just how the the nature of business, like, you know, that's cool that they're doing that. But unless you can show me tangible proof that this is the future of my league, I don't care. Like, until you can show me that this is tangibly guaranteed to get me a championship, what do I care? And, and I think that's how, you know, either fairly or unfairly, I think that's how businesses should look at things. You know, they should be concerned with the final product. They shouldn't be concerned with social change. But that's also it's also a fine line. Like you, you want them to promote change. You would hope that they can better both their business. Look, big picture, look at the, like I said, Sean, before the, the, the stream of talent, you know, hopefully by cultivating that you improve the stream of talent and therefore ultimately improve your team and your league. And I think that's the, the, the better way to look at things, but I can't fault them necessarily for looking short term and being like, look, we need to have a proven, uh, a proven candidate now or somebody who fits our mold. I don't know. Like, I think it's complicated. I don't, I don't think it can be boiled down to just a diversity hire. I think ultimately they, they have to justify their decision to both themselves, to their shareholders and to their fans. And I think that's the, the, the higher priority than hiring somebody who is quote unquote, a different fit for the organization. Um, I would say to that, uh, I guess I'd be a little bit against that because for a business as an organization, of course, you're focused on, you know, making a profit, winning. Um, but I would think a business that's only focused on the status quo and the now is due to be left in the past, you know, when the future comes. Because at some point, you have to be forward thinking and think about what's to come. Um, so does that mean that uh, the team should immediately go out there and try to find someone that's, that's a woman to put in those roles? No, that's not the case. Like you were saying, it should become where they progress the system. Are they qualified? And if so, you know, interview them with everybody else equally. And then if they're just selection, there's election. But they, I don't think they should be forced to put someone in that role. But why the change might come in is, uh, I guess, in the initial ground, ground floor of how that process starts. You know, she said she came in as an intern. Maybe they might actually have a bigger pool of women 
women, uh, female interns that they actually bring in. And does that mean that they're all going to be GMs or presidents or anything someday? No, that's not the case. But you kind of start to identify, okay, maybe there is something we're missing. Maybe when we got here and started putting out these feelers to bring people in, we should also start focusing on having a certain number of, you know, minority candidates, certain number of uh, female candidates, uh, you know, stuff like that. And if that happens, you'll get more people in the pipeline. And you, you would hope that, okay, we're bringing more people in or more diverse background of people than other teams are. So we kind of have that benefit of having, you know, a better chance of someone actually growing and blossoming into something else down the road. Now, it's never for sure that every single person you bring in is going to be, you know, that high up yeah. on the totem pole. But you just kind of think in your mind, like, oh, maybe we should go back and rethink where we're looking for our applicants in our pool. Um, because, you know, it happens a lot of times for some of these um, larger corporations in terms of saying, um, I, guess, I forgot the, the quote for it, but it was happening right before the election that uh, they were having a hard time, you know, why they didn't have that many, I guess, black executives. It's like, well, we didn't find that many qualified candidates you know, from the college ranks and people are like, uh, well, I know about four or five HBCUs you can go yeah. to to find very qualified yeah. candidates. So somebody in that department is failing in terms of trying to, you know, identify these people and finding them. So it's not on them. It's on you for not being able to find them. Yeah. So maybe they might say, okay, well, let's change our process. Are we finding the most talented people out there? Are we kind of settling for what we have been doing, but we can do more to kind of bring in more? Uh, because at the end of the day, you want to have all the most talented people in your organization. And at some point, you think it's going to work out well for you to have that much, you know, potential and smarts and savvy and such all under one roof. So that's why yeah. I think it, it might help out in the long run. But are you going to see just a whole slew of, you know, uh, GMs that are women? No, I don't think that's not, you know, that's not realistic. But it could have a change long term in terms of how they go about the process of finding their or refilling their talent pool, I should say. No, yeah. And, and I guess I... I wasn't 100% clear with what I'm saying because I 100% agree with you on all of that. Um, I, I no, no, you're said, a flaming sexist and let it let the record show. <laughs> well, no, no, cause, cause what, I'll couch it in this. You know, I, I still agree with my cynicism because I don't think they're going to do that. But you are 100% right because I agree with you that education is my foundation. Like, I think you change everything through education. So like you're saying, by by opening up the feeder programs, by opening up internships, by forcing diversity hires, all of these different practices that a hundred percent will, will ultimately get to where they want to be. And, and I agree with that. Like definitely this will open those doors long-term. And in that sense, you need to be diverse. You need to force diversity because you don't know what you're missing until you get those other people in the office. That with said yeah, with different perspectives and things. Yes. At the 30, yeah. the 30 team top, whatever, you know, whatever I want to call it, the GMs that doesn't have any bearing right now. Because as of today, this does not change. If, if the GM of, of a team got let go tomorrow, they're not going to be changing their hiring practice right now because of what the Marlins did. Right. But, you know, like you're saying, there's, that doesn't mean there's no lesson to be had here. The problem is, do they even take this lesson? Do, do they look, mm. they look, you know, this happened, let's set up these programs? Or do they just say, hey, good for them, and then move on, which I think is what will ultimately happen. You know, I think that innovation is going to have to come from bottom up. I think somebody's going to have to, at some point, get involved in that process and force these diverse hirings. And then eventually they'll reap the benefits 20 years from now or whatever. But I don't think the ownership of any team in the league is looking at that right now with a pointed effort. I don't think anybody looks to this and says, okay, let's set up a program right now to capitalize so we can have the next, um, 
Kimmy. Oh my god, yeah. I'm sorry, I drew a blank. So like, I don't think anybody's looking at it like that. But you're right. Like that's the way you fix this problem. You fix this problem by setting up a feeder system. Well, now that now that Austin's confirmed that Daniel's right, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, no, uh, I, I, honestly, it's nice. no, I was going to happen, but it's was, nice. <laughs> that's really nice. It's wrong, but it is really nice. No, uh, I, I, it was funny. It's not I, have dreams, isn't it? I, like, I, I, I ironically was going to do the same thing. I think that's one of your best points, Daniel, that you've made here, um, because <laughs> it, does, it does. I mean, he makes good points all the time. I'm saying that's why. That's I, was I don't to, know why it's so funny to me. You're like you no, won, Daniel. I, yeah, I know, I, know, I know exactly what you were thinking. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Well, I all right, well, I, I, <laughs> what did you finally, Daniel? I'm like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> no, no. I'm alone. Anyway, I think I think it's one of your more salient, you know, uh, upper because it's it's not something that I think the layman person. It's not something that I would think of off the top. Um, the ramifications that could come from this kind of a hire um, I, I thought it was a little I thought you put your big brain on man that's all I'm saying you know you, you saw it on a different wavelength than we saw it and it's something that's we've actually been talking about a lot here we uh with the election we were talking about how everyone wants a third-party candidate third-party candidate third-party candidate but no one wants to do the work of putting candidates at your local level who can then become those third-party candidates no one wants to do the work of making your local government more diverse so then those diverse politicians can become the diverse politicians who lead your country and so it's a very we think of things from the top down a lot in this country and it's it's one of the major problems so thinking of this from the bottom up was a good perspective that i hadn't really thought of though i think of it in other in other avenues so that's why i say it was a a really one of your your better points on on the show here um in in that regard and i think it makes a lot of sense and i actually somewhat do agree with austin that i'm not sure baseball is smart enough to to take those lessons that you just gave them, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll see. This, the history of this country is rooted in missed opportunities of these kinds. So, yeah, yeah, that, that, that is so true. <laughs> so, you know, also another win for Daniel. Good job extending the topic so we could have that conversation. Good work, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for you, man. So you brought me in, bro. I got you. Yeah, I got your back, yeah. homie. Yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, it was funny too because we. Look, were, you so, see what happens when when when, when T Huff decreases, Daniel <laughs> increases. Oh God! So, <laughs> just so you know, whenever whenever it happens that T Huff, you know, gets gets his job and he has to leave us, bro. I'm here for you. I'll take over for him. All right, well, so rise it up, rise it up. I like it. Yeah. Noted conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, that took an unexpected turn. <laughs> Poor T Huff's not even here to defend himself. Though well, at least you said it when he rises, so that he'll be off to do a bigger and better thing. Yeah. So you know, it's not like you're just coming for this man's job for no reason. No. Sir. With that, no, with that sir. said, we will close out that topic, and we will. I will ask you once again, Daniel, since you're trying to take T Huff's job, if it is or is not time for the greatest segment in the history of segments. Do it. Let's do the damn thing, man. Let's do the damn. So, oh, it's time. <laughs> is, it, is it damn time, Austin? No. Yeah, it's damn time. Okay, it's damn time. So, Brian time. Frankly, I need mine. frankly, <laughs> uh, not a lot has really happened this week. I think a lot of people have been as Daniel. It's quotes, been a NBA, collective as Daniel like, quotes NBA live, bro. I've been, I've been <laughs> too, I've been too like mentally exhausted to even gloat. 
Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of it's been a lot <laughs> like, of that. It's not it's not a victory. It's just like, all right, finally, fuck. But yet and still, <laughs> but yet and still, even though we did not come really ready to flame someone, I'm always ready to flame someone, or I'm always ready to go find something to flame. <laughs> and what I found I will. And I found it and I'm about to hate on it, and it's gonna be short, it's gonna be sweet. But I'd like to thank short. God for giving everybody so much and me so little. <laughs> and that is, and we've talked about it recently. We're going to talk about it again because that is one Mr. Tommy T. Tuberville, Mr. Sticker Bowl <laughs> Tommy, himself. Tommy, bro. Three, houses. <laughs> three bridges. You don't understand. What well, no, I said, Sugar Bowl. Uh, Sugar Bowl. 13 0 Auburn Tigers. Yes, 13 0. Yes, War Auburn Eagle. Tigers. Yes, War Eagle. Oh, Big Blue. Big Blue. Correct. Correct. Yes. All that. All that. Except for the fact that Mr. War Eagle, Mr. Auburn Tiger himself, doesn't know the three branches of government. That make up our <laughs> our our our, our, oh, our country. I so hard when I saw this story. But he Mr. does know X's and O's. Mr. Yeah, well, that is Jimmy and Joe's. That's not going <laughs> to help Jimmy him here Joe. because t- Mr. Tuberville thinks that the three branches of government are the House, the Senate. <laughs> yes, yeah, Daniel, he's executive. he's on something, and, and the executive branch. So he got two out of the three. Well, he didn't technically get two out of the yeah. three. He, he technically got one out of three. One and a half. Because it's, it's, one and a half. Yeah, I guess. Because as, as anyone who's taken a, a civics lesson knows, <laughs> the uh, three branches of government are the judicial, the legislative, and the executive. And the legislative is made up by Congress, which is the Senate and the House. But Tommy Tuberville doesn't know that. And that's because even though he was hired at our institution to help teach and raise our young men, he can't teach a, a, a basic civics course. Which is interesting because aren't usually football coaches the history teachers? Where, where, where did Tommy Tuberville come up? I need to not I need a, to go yeah, I need a, I need to go deep and figure out where this man. I'm gonna the, go out on a limb and say <laughs> that this man did not start coaching in high school. In high school, I, I, don't, yeah, I don't know. He, he is man. one of them old. You, back in the day, you used to just get hired because you were white and you used yeah. to play football. So maybe yeah. he's one of those. And, kind he of was a, and he was a good old boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't got much to say about Tommy Tuberville. We knew he wasn't qualified when he ran. Like, so it's it, it's kind of it's kind of belaboring the point. <laughs> Derek Derek is like, we knew his boy and shit. Look at it. Look at, his head. Yeah, look, at him, <laughs> look at him. Look at him proving us right. <laughs> day one. I, I, like day yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Just he, he, he didn't waste any time proving us right. And so, you know, I expect many more blunders from Tommy Tuberville. I I, I hope he doesn't uh lead the, his state of Alabama into ruin and make copious amounts of bad policies that will affect his constituency. But I'm not hopeful that he won't do that because he is Tommy Tuberville. He doesn't know the branches of government and he's just all around a, a Trump single fan who did no business. Tommy Tuberville's defense. No. Oh yeah. I think we, we I think we know no, no. I mean it's it's gonna be short. It's not a long way to go. <laughs> I think we already know that the GOP has no interest in the the legitimacy of the uh judicial branch so <laughs> why would he know anything about the judicial we had, branch? We, had, we had fucking chip roy who just wants to basically abolish the judicial branch <laughs> yeah. and so that, that is in keeping with why they probably weren't on uh tommy tuberville's mind he's like yeah man new new three branches <laughs> new three branches without the judicial we're the judicial we do would, it, the would it be better or worse if they had said uh mr tuberville you know that judicial is the third branch and he's like really though are they i was <laughs> <laughs> like damn well i mean <laughs> hey, hey, Honestly, at least I know he has a credo, I guess, as opposed to just being an idiot. Like, but he, like, because you know, what's there, what, what's you're more dangerous? All wrong, man. What, wait, wait, Dan, I, have, I have one question. What's more dangerous, an idiot who's also a Trump sickle fan or a smart Trump sickle fan? 
Do I want the idiot? I think it's I'm... always the smart one. Yeah. Well, so it, it depends. In the in the now, in the in the next ten minutes, it's always the the idiot because you don't know what the idiot's going to do in the next ten minutes. But the smart one's going to damage shit fifteen years down the road. Nah, so that's that's nice. always the yeah. It just depends on what you're looking. Yeah. At. Good, good good point. Good point. All right, <laughs> what, what, what are you going to say, man? We got to go, man. Big 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 ring now. Big ring now. So look. Let me oh, shoot some bail. Uh, I, give, I give him one right. compliment and look what is happening. <laughs> big brain, big brain. Allow me to do You know, when you, when, when you have some new hires into your office and you have maybe the culture of the office isn't what you really wanted. So you're like, all right, instead of promoting from with inside, let's go find someone from outside of you know our organization, bring them in here. They don't know anything about how we do our things here. They're really an open book, a lump of clay, if you will. Perhaps Tom Tupper is that lump of clay yeah. for politicians <laughs> and where I know nothing. So mold me as you see fit so I can become that ultimate politician for you down the road. So tell me, Alabama, what do you want in your politics? I have no idea what a politician should be. And then they'll let him know the people will speak to him. and He will become just that. And he will become one of the greatest of all. And then probably run for election in 2024. So I heard sugar, sugar Bowl, baby. Sugar Bowl. Can, can Alabama win like a government Sugar Bowl? Is that is that his goal right now? <laughs> <laughs> we should decide for president. I mean, the problem. <laughs> yeah, who wins? That's, the champ, that's a championship. The problem with that, Daniel, is that's actually true. And unfortunately, Trump got to him first. <laughs> and then, so he's he's become a Trump politician, <laughs> unfortunately. And I think he's only going to get further Trumpanized, even though Trump is gone. Uh, in fact, yeah, I, think, like, I think with Trump gone, that actually might be worse because now he feels like he has to hold up the ideals by himself with whoever else is now I think he's not gonna know what to do he's like uh so trump was telling me what to do now and i have no direction whatsoever so don't worry good old Mitchell <laughs> yeah he still got mitch oh, that's true can lead him. that's true uh no so i was gonna say is that you're, you're you're right that that is like a play to make but i i you know i can't speak for everybody but i can speak for myself and anytime we play like a social deduction game, like like a Secret Hitler fun game to play, Among Us, you know, all these kind of games, that is absolutely I have never made that play in good faith. Like I have never made that play in good faith where it's like, what do you want me to do? Like, tell me what you want to do. I'll be on your side. No, 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 no. If I'm not thinking yeah. for myself, it's because I'm doing something else behind the scenes. <laughs> so that's the worst thing for you to tell me right now. That this is what this makes that's, the, that's the most sinister shit you can do. It's like, like, like I have no thoughts in here. You fill my head with what you want and I'll do what you want me to do. Like, nah, man. There can you know. And so now, <laughs> and so now that we've sowed enough social unrest, in Alabama, we're gonna go ahead and get on out of here. Alabama, uh, uh, Bama. Uh, so, Daniel, thank you for stopping by, my friend. What the hell are you stopping by? <laughs> That's how I always say. Why are y'all still surprised with that. how you I close the show? I mean, I understood. You know, I, mean, I understood. I understood the first time when it, it's not the typical closing. It's not what you hear from your, your, your local radio guy. I'm a little offbeat, but now that I've said it like Tommy every week, if you, you would think, oh my god, no, it, no. it don't make it right. Right. It don't make Dan- it right. Daniel, I appreciate you on the program today. I'll see you next week. Please say goodbye. Yeah. And thanks War for Eagle. Go thanks Big Blue. Awesome, Rosina. Thank you for being back. I missed you. Say goodbye. <laughs> I missed you so much. <laughs> goodbye.
Just tell me what you want me to do, Dave. What do you want me to say? Do I say bye now or bye-bye? <laughs> Girl, Huff, as you can see, see by what's been going on in this program today, I miss you very much. Come back next week to save me from these two crazy people. But if not, it's all good. You know, big brain. Stuff, so if you want to take some more time, bro, I got you until you get back. Got you. Well, we'll see how, how much. We'll We're going to see how much you got me right now. For the weekend to take, I am your man, D.R. Lewis. Third, baby. Goes unopposed. Daniel. Hit him with the outro. Outro, baby. Weekend to take. <laughs> I like it. It was it was horribly improvised, but I like it. Good. <laughs>